Father, we come humbly before you this morning. God, we thank you for opportunity just now to, to laugh, to smile, to, to joke about even our seats and where we would normally sit. And Lord, we know that there is so much more that is heavy on our hearts, but some laughter is, is good for us. We thank you for it. And Father, as we gather here, I am reminded once again of the various individuals who have come to me and told me about the various sources of grief that they are dealing with. God, as a church, collectively, being one year ahead of where our brother John went to be with Christ in glory. Father, we carry that, yet, God, we look at it and we see all that Christ received. We see the joy of Christ receiving his servant. We see the joy of our brother entering into that rest. So this morning, God, we pray that you would settle our hearts and our minds and all of the various forms of grief that we are carrying. Oh God, would you help us through the power of your spirit to focus on you this morning? Would you comfort us in our afflictions? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That prayer was a good segue for us to begin this morning by thinking about Christ. I want right now for you to actually put on, think of Christ. I want you to think of Christ and, and what comes to your mind when I tell you to think of Christ. What, what, what flows into your mind? For some of you, it might be his love and his grace. For, for some of you, as I say, think of Christ, it might be his victory over the evil one. But for many of us this morning, when I say think of Christ, most likely there were very few of us that immediately thought about the sufferings of Christ. As a matter of fact, some of us would even consider, is that even a reverent thing to do? Or, or is that even discouraging to our own souls to, to think about the sufferings of Christ? Well, for the Christian we can find much comfort in knowing what our Savior has gone through on our behalf. And, and since he has gone through it, and he's gone through much suffering, he is able to empathize with us in our sufferings. So this morning, if you have a handout, and if you don't, we can get one to you. You'll see this morning we are doing Grief Comforted, Receiving the Suffering Servant's compassion. And so this morning, it might seem like a weird way to get there, but this morning, we're going to look at the sufferings of Christ. And so if you have a Bible with you this, this morning, and I hope you do, if you would open up to Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52 this morning, we're going to read Isaiah 52 halfway through, and then also Isaiah 53 this morning. 
As you're opening up your Bibles to Isaiah 52, the passage we are about to read together this morning is quoted in the New Testament by Jesus, by John, by Paul, and by Peter. It's also the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch just happened, air quotes, to be reading when he passed by Philip. It is this passage we are about to read about the sufferings of Christ. Isaiah chapter 52. If you would go down to verse 13 with me. We read starting in verse 13 of Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Now stop there for a moment. When you think of Christ, isn't that what we often think of? Him being exalted, him being lifted up. That's naturally where our minds go to when we think of Christ. But let's keep reading together. The very next verse. Verse 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Well, pause. I think there's oftentimes we're guilty of reading through the scripture and, and reading it with a calloused heart and not really pondering what we are reading. The passage we're reading is about our Lord. And we are reading that his appearance was so marred beyond even human recognition that he was beaten beyond what people could even tell who he was. That he suffered greatly. We read, continuing, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Chapter 51, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. You see the description there in verse 3 of our Lord. A man of sorrows, one who is acquainted with grief. I want you to keep this in mind as we look to the suffering servant because he is one who knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows sorrow. So much so that he is described as a man of sorrows. Think of all the descriptions that we could declare of the Lord. And here it is described of him that he is a man of sorrows. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet, he, yet we esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I need to confess that so often we read these and it becomes something that is, we're so familiar with and we kind of just glance over. But you know when you're grieving, you're very susceptible to the emotion and feeling And when you look at this with pure emotion, you can't help but weep to see our Lord described in this fashion of the suffering that he went through. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Our sin put upon him, as we'll see more this morning, Verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. all. He was, verse seven, oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. If you are lost this morning as we read this, this is the plan of God. This is the gospel that God would send his son who is perfect and place upon him the sin of all those who would believe. It is the plan of God that his son would be stricken, that his son would be a man of sorrows, that as we'll see in the very next verse, that he would have anguish of soul. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So when I asked you when we began to think about Christ, I would venture to guess many of us did not go immediately to that description of Christ. And yet, as we grieve and as we have sorrow upon sorrow, it is a beautiful and wonderfully comforting thing to look at our Lord that he knows what it's like to be sorrowful. He knows what it's like 
to grieve. And because he knows that, he is able to empathize in a way that nobody else around you can. He is able. We read Psalm 22, if you'd like to flip over to Psalm 22. Jesus being the singer here of this psalm in Psalm 22, not starting at the very beginning where we often do, which is appropriate of Christ hanging on the cross, but I want you to go down to verse 14, Psalm 22, starting in verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. You know, I think often when we think of Christ, we think, but he was God. And so his suffering wasn't like our suffering. You're right, it wasn't. It was much worse. He suffered completely. And as we'll continue looking at this morning, in his humanity, he experienced it. Every part of it. And so Paul the Apostle would encourage us to put our eyes, to have this mind amongst us in Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 5, reading through verse 8, we read, Have this mind amongst yourselves, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And now it describes Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a criminal's death. To humble himself under false accusations, to give his life, a sinless life for sinful people. That is our Lord. And the suffering he endured through it. Peter also grabs this, this verbiage from Isaiah 53 and he uses it to exhort believers. In 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll give you a minute if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, we read here, For to this you have been called, 1 Peter 2.21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the part we typically jump to is salvation in Jesus Christ. We jump to the, the part that, that seems more joyous, that there is salvation through what Christ has done. And we often don't dwell on all that he went through to accomplish that. But Christ suffered from birth all the way through the cross. Even at his birth, there was instant attack to try to put him to death. And it was constantly throughout his life. But he suffered most supremely on the cross. So much so that every gospel writer includes it. Matthew includes it in chapter 27. Mark includes the account in Mark chapter 15. Luke includes it in Luke 23, and John includes it in John 19. What am I speaking of? Well, not only was Jesus scourged, which basically is torture. He endured torture to have his flesh ripped off his back, to be split open and to bleed. You say, well, that's physical pain. You know, he was also mocked, dressed up like a king, first stripped and then dressed up. And during that time, he was also spit on and ridiculed and beaten and ultimately crucified. But that wasn't where all the suffering, the majority of the suffering came it wasn't through the physical act of having his flesh torn off his back. It wasn't through the emotional act of being mocked and ridiculed. It was by bearing the sin of all those who would believe in him and paying the penalty for that. Second Corinthians, you know it well, 521. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did not just suffer as an example. He suffered in our place. He, he suffered what we deserved. And so I want you to keep that in mind this morning, that Christ has suffered much, much. And I'm not putting down any of the grief that we experience because our grief is the most heaviest grief because it's ours. It's the one that we have to bear to look to scripture and see what Christ has gone through, to see what he has endured, to know that he has endured every form of sorrow and suffering. And because of that, we can then turn to Christ's compassion. He is a compassionate God. You know, many of you have figured this out in your grief that grief by itself is hard enough. But another aspect of grief that makes the pain even more is when you feel all alone. When you feel like there's no one you can turn to, that no one else around you understands, that the pain you are going through, you look around, you're like, there's no one else who understands it, and there's no one around me who can help Solomon wrote some wise words in Ecclesiastes 4. He said, Two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 
say, well, Rob, you're getting really discouraging right now. This is not very helpful. I hope you know where I'm going at this. No matter how alone you feel in your grief, you are never alone. We have a God in our Lord Jesus Christ who empathizes with us in our suffering. If you would find the book of Hebrews, we're going to journey through some passages in Hebrews this morning. Christ understands. He knows pain. Christ is the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. If you found the book of Hebrews, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. You read, therefore he had to be made like his brother, speaking of Christ, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. You say, well, is it that he was tempted or is it that he suffered? The answer is yes. You know that in our grief and in our sorrow, we are constantly tempted. We are tempted to try to comfort the flesh. We are tempted to do things we know do not please God, but we think will temporarily soothe ourselves and our, the desires of the flesh. Christ who was tempted in every way but without sin, knows what it's like to be tempted, but he also knows what it's like to suffer. And the same Christ who has perfect compassion over those who are tempted is the same Christ who has perfect compassion for those who grieve. What do you think about perfect compassion? As we speak of Christ's compassion, I'm looking around, I see a lot of people I consider godly people in here. And in your most godliest day that you're having, you do not have the perfect compassion of Christ. We still are in a fallen nature with fallen emotions. That when we see somebody who is hurting in our minds, we still could have some cynical thought or some other motive. Christ had none of that. And Christ still has none of that. That when Christ see, saw, as we see in Scripture, those who are hurting, he had perfect compassion. He didn't go up and say, well, are they worthy of being healed? I mean, have they done right? Do they have some other motive? As we see lots of people who come to Christ and turn away and never come back, even with a thank you. He didn't think about that. He had perfect compassion. He was not looking for the worthiness of having compassion on them. He had a perfect compassion. I want you to keep that in mind as we speak of Christ. His compassion is not like our compassion. His compassion is perfect. Flip over a couple chapters to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 
Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 15, reading through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Church, this is the biblical theology of grief. When we speak of a time of need, is that not when we are in despair? Is that not when we go, where else can I turn? Where else can I go? To whom else shall I turn? Not only are we commanded to come to him, but we are told to come boldly to him, to come in confidence to him. Why? Because he is a compassionate God. He's a merciful God. I am like many of you, and I want to turn to the person to my left or to my right, and I want to see and find perfect compassion in them. And do you know what happens when I do that? I'm disappointed time and time again. Because none of us have that perfect compassion. But Christ does. And he beckons us to come to him to receive comfort, to receive compassion. One more chapter over, Hebrews chapter 5 looking at the humanity of Christ that we speak of. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Church, I think there's a great example that we see here. He was heard because of his reverence. He knew as he turned to the Father, it was not a demand of what the Father would do, but it was a plea for mercy. It was a plea for compassion. It was a plea for help. But look at the humanity of Christ. How did he pray here? What is the example we see in Hebrews 5? With loud cries and tears. Do you think you're alone when you're crying out to God in tears? Understand that our Lord knows what that's like. He has done it himself. That you do not have to be ashamed in your sorrow and your grief. You can turn to Christ and receive compassion because he knows what it's like. Let's flip a handful of chapters ahead. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, let's skip the opening verse even though it is great. Uh, starting at verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Church, the encouragement from Scripture is to consider Jesus, 
to, to look to him, to see what he has been through, what he has gone through, and to find perfect compassion in him. Jesus knows what it's like not to receive it from the people around him. As a matter of fact, we'll look at this morning when he did look to find those around him who might be faithful in upholding him and encouraging him. People failed him. And if we went around the room and we had a big circle and we were going to ask each of you, how many of you in a time of deep sorrow and grief had somebody that you would consider let you down? That they weren't there as you had hoped them to be? That is the point of us looking to Christ. Because he will never let you down. He'll never not be there to be compassionate and one who would comfort you in your grief. He will always be there in your sorrows. He understands. But he knows what it's like to not have support around you. If you would, open up the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you probably can quote it or, or give me a loose translation of what goes on here. But he's in the garden, Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, I'm gonna pick up. It says that he comes to this place called Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. And he says to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And then he takes with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is our Lord, full of sorrow. His heart is troubled. Verse 38, and he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now, now stop there for a second. We often use this word of being transparent with one another. Like, like truly tell one another what we're going through, how we can support each other, how we can encourage each other. Which, by the way, I'm in no way saying we should not do those things. But I'm saying the perfection is found in Christ. The one who will never leave us nor forsake us, the one who will never let us down is Christ. Christ turns to his disciples and he is completely transparent with them. He pours out his heart to them and says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He says, remain here and watch with me. This is a plea from him. Just be here and watch, pray. Now, put yourself in that position you thought, man, I would have done better than them. I know the end of the story. These were the men that spent their life with him. Day in and day out. And he pours out his soul to them and says, please, please, pray. Please, I am full of sorrow. Please, pray. Verse 39, and going a little farther, Jesus falls on his face and prays, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. 
Okay, so you're reading ahead. What happens next? Jesus comes back to these men. And I heard it from one of you out there. The sound that was coming forth from them. They're asleep. Our Lord had just poured out his heart in complete transparency to them, saying, I am very sorrowful. I am deeply troubled. Please pray. And rather than pray, they slept. And this doesn't just happen once. It happens again and again that Jesus pleads with them. Please stay awake. I am troubled. And again, they fall asleep. These men who Christ turned to said, please be there for me, are the same men that here fall asleep, who later in that garden, after he is arrested, guess what happens to these men? It's in verse 56, if you want to peek ahead. All the disciples left him and fled. Do you know in that moment, though he had no one around him, do you know who he kept trusting himself to, entrusting himself to? The Father. When everyone around him that he invested his life in, poured his life in, was going to the cross to pay the penalty of their sins for, they abandoned him. The Father had not. And he entrusted himself to the Father. This is the same example we have in Christ for us. That we're to entrust ourselves to him. Though no one else be around me and no one understand the grief and no one be there to uphold my arms, Christ is there. Now, by God's grace, as we get through these 10 weeks, there will be a week of how do we minister to others in their grief? And it is a calling for us to do that well. But on the other side of that, many of us know there are many who have not done that well. We have the example of Job's friends who did not do that well. But Christ understands. There's a precious passage in 2 Corinthians 4. I was considering whether to share it with you this morning. I'm going to share it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 7 through 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We read this starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Stop there. Do you feel fragile in your grief? God is powerful. God sustains us. We read in verse 8, We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carried in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Church, if you are right now in a deep, dark valley of grief, know that Christ understands. He understands sorrow. 
We have a God in the Lord Jesus Christ who is the man of sorrows. He is one who understands and knows pain. He knows grief. He knows sorrow upon sorrow. And he knows what it's like to have those around you abandon you in your grief. He knows your grief. And he empathizes with you. And he desires for you to receive his compassion, to receive his comfort, to enjoy the presence of his spirit. The encouragement we see from God's word this morning is that we would continually run to his arms of where we will continually receive his comfort. You'll see a quote at the bottom of your handout if you have it from Charles Spurgeon. After we've looked at the sufferings of Christ this morning, maybe we understand this quote a little better. Spurgeon wrote, O son of man, I know not which to admire most, thine height of glory or thy depths of misery. Let's pray together. Fathers, we have spent time this morning looking at the sufferings of Christ. Father, would you help us to, at all times as we go through seasons of sorrow and grief to look to the one who is the man of sorrows, to look to the one who understands pain and grief, that when we feel like there is no one around us who understands and no one around us who can help, that we would be reminded in our Lord Jesus Christ that he is able and he is ready and willing at all times for us to run to him. That he is a God who empathizes with us in our grief. He is a God who is compassionate and merciful. Oh God, we ask now for each individual here at this place that this morning grief is heavy that they would receive the comfort from Christ that their eyes would be fixed on the one who knows their pain Father you would through your son Jesus and through the power of your spirit bring the comfort that has been the cry of their soul we pray that you would do this for their good and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church.